The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action, you already know what it is, DraftKings Sportsbook, unofficial sports betting partner of the NFL, to kick off the road to Super Bowl 57. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly, plus all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. That's all new and existing customers. Okay, so that's any day uh, of the wild card round this weekend. And that's three days, by the way, because there's going to be a game Monday, Jan 16. You know, of course, Sunday, Jan 15, there'll be three games. And Saturday, January 14th. Don't know why I'm going backwards, but that's what it said. Two games. So uh, you can do the no sweat bet each day of that. Uh, just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. That's actually so good. Uh, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? I mean, it's a legitimate question. Why bet the NFL wild card round or the rest of the playoffs anywhere else? Uh, also, another legitimate question that I get all the time is, Drew, how do I uh, choose my porn name? You know, I want to get into the industry, as they call it. I want to be a, a regular coxman, um, but I just don't have a good name figured out, and that's the only thing stopping me. You know, I get asked this all the time. And I finally have, now have an answer that I can reveal how to choose your uh, porn star name. And that is to do what I'm calling the uh, AFC wildcard gambit. So basically what you got to do is you got to do a parlay on DraftKings Sportsbook for all three AFC wildcard games that are coming up this weekend. And you take the first three initials of each city that you're going to bet on, the, you know, the team. Uh, for example, if I wanted to bet a Baltimore Ravens, I would be ball. I would start BAL. I don't want to do that though. You know, I think the Bengals will win. I don't think Lamar Jackson's gonna be back. If he does, he might not be a hundred percent. If we jump over to the Miami at Buffalo game, another divisional matchup. I also don't think that two is gonna play it. But if he does, you know, for the Dolphins, he'll be limited. Buffalo is just a better team, anyways. I think Cincinnati is as well. I want both those lines. You know, I want. As of right now, Bengals, uh, six and a half points they're giving. I'll take that. I'm going to parlay that with Buffalo, ten and a half points. We go up to the L.A. Jacksonville game. Now, and that's a close game. This is going to be a good one. This is Saturday. Uh, Jags are getting one point. You know what? I'm going to take that point for the Jags at home. The, the Chargers have been consistent all year. They're bound to lose a, a one and a half, you know, a two point by two or something. So uh, I'm do I'm making that parlay on the DraftKings Sportsbook app here, and I see not only am I going to put in this great parlay, I'm going to get my porn star name, and you can do the same thing. And that porn star name is Buff Jackson. That's right, Buffalo, Jacksonville, Cincinnati. Buff Jackson, that's going to be my uh, male porn star name. You know, I'm not actually planning to get into you know the industry myself, but if you are... Uh, I would say, you know, first do this parlay on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and then, you know, uh, you change your name legally, uh, or at least, you know, put put that on the application to become the, the male porn star. Buff Jackson, that's a solid name. And, you know, for the ladies, if you're um, going to get into the industry uh, as a female porn star, probably going to be easier for you, to be honest, um, just numbers-wise. I would actually do the reverse parlay. You know, it might not be successful. I wouldn't want to do this parlay because uh, I don't think it's going to hit. But who knows? I've been wrong many times. You could you could kind of do the reverse. Take, you know, the other three AFC teams on the parlay, and your name is Mia LaBall. Hey, you could do worse as your porn star name. So that's right. I've told you uh, what to bet. I've at least told you. You know where to bet, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook app. And I'm giving you some very good advice um, about how to choose your porn star name. So frankly, you, got, you can all stop asking me. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code BKRB 
New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. That's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code BKRB. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Pod Boys Productions. Alright, welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network. It's uh, peak film season. It's your boy, Padre, by the way, and it, I can't even get that out because I'm too excited about the peakness of the film season, the prestige film season, we would call it, right? E-Nam, Eric, over there. That's right, that's right. We're back, I'm back, you're back. It's your boy, uh, all the Eric and the bloodshed. So, it's a prest- we're gonna talk prestige films today. The type of, I mean, typically we do more of this episode when it's like Oscar season, like right around March or something, and we're talking about some of the films that have been nominated. But forget all that. I mean, we we were too uh, excited to start talking about them now in the year that they came out, twenty twenty two. How about that? We don't need to wait till next year right yeah i mean you could argue we've been a bit behind on some of these in some years it's just the nature of our recording schedule you know but yeah these are coming you know body blows just fast and furious um and we we didn't want to let too many of them slip by uh we covered them two months late like we did nope (laughs) yeah uh and that was too bad because i saw nope opening weekend too but it didn't end up mattering in that case but yeah these are ones that you know we're not talking Avatar, which comes out this week as we record this, you know, we're not, we don't need to be on the cutting edge of that. I'm fully prepared to talk about Avatar 2, The Way of Water, as long as you need me to. Well, we probably will eventually, but what I'm saying is we probably, a la Nope, or some of these big films that a lot of people are going to see, we're probably not going to be right on it anyway, so forget about it. But this is good because these, the nature of these kind of prestige films is like, it's like a slow rollout, right? They, they like debut at Sundance or some film festival, Toronto Film Festival or something like in the spring, summer. Then they get like a, a release in LA, New York, things like that. Then finally they get a wide release. So a lot of people are watching just them on, them on screeners now anyway, or, or uh, you know, you can buy them on VOD, all of that. So uh, it's not like the necessarily the big cultural event, but it is the type of films that, are going to be getting discussed in the next few months for sure, I think, right? Right, right. These are the classic, like, every year the list comes out for, like, who, like, what director's top ten or, um, like, what newspaper had for a top ten, and Mm. uh, people complain because they've never heard of any of these movies, and then they watch them, and they're they're impossible to watch, they're impossible to follow, um, which simply isn't true, and stop doing it. Subtitles, yeah, all of that. But, yeah, so... I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably are more into films anyway, and these might be on your radar anyway, I would think, but who knows? Uh, could be some recommendations coming or some encouragement to watch this type of film. And then with our pod, we're, us- we're usually pretty firmly entrenched in the A24 brand, I would say. A24 but- and Neon. <laughs> and yeah. But in this case, I don't think we're we're in our bag there with that one for, for what we have lined up for today, is it? Uh, I don't think there's a single A24 film on our list for today. Well, all right. And we, I think you're right. We're planning to... So that's a little different for us, kind of. But we're planning to talk four films, two which we've both seen, uh, one each that 
don't, the other person has not gotten around to you yet. Um, I think it would be good to start with one of the ones we've both seen. And I'll let you uh, pick out of the two what you want to start with, Eric. Let's start with Triangle of Sadness because I've already forgotten what the other one we've both seen was. <laughs> All right, let's get sad. Well, a uh, spoiler for the, for or a tease, rather, for a, a half an hour from now, probably... Uh, the Banshees of Inisherin, if I'm saying that right, is. I knew the second discussed. that I said that 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 that's what it was, of course. But no, no. I but did say the other thing on mic, so we'll move on. That's all right because uh, th- that's the order I watch these two, and anyway, I watch Triangle first. So uh, let's let's discuss it. This is a film by hmm, Ruben Ostland. Is that? His name, I definitely don't know if I'm saying that right. He might have a middle name. I think we just say Ostland. Yeah. Ostland, okay. It might be one of those O's that has kind of the uh, backspace going through, not backspace, but uh, backslash going through it or forward slash, something like that. Like Mia Hansen Louvre. Exactly, yeah. Of uh, Bergman Island fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got it. You're sharp as everybody. Got my trivia on the Scandinavian directors. Yeah, this uh, this guy had uh, I'd seen his previous film Force Majeure, which I uh, I liked. He had a follow up called The Square, which I was trying to see. Uh, I was thinking after I saw Triangle that I would see that this like I would try to watch that one too. Didn't quite get around to it. All his films are very long. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, Sadness being no exception. But uh, so I've seen two of of the three. He might have more than that, but. As far as I'm aware, those are the three ones that have made some cultural impact so far. Um, he just keeps winning Palm's Door. So this won a Palm Door. Is there only one one award for that? Or is like you can win, uh, a bunch of films can win it every year? It's like one every year. It's like the, it's like the like Oscar for Best Picture at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this, and this one... Well, did you like this film, Eric? Just... I liked all the images of rich people having nice things, but I really hated all the images of those nice things being taken away from them and those rich people being humiliated and new kinds of societies forming themselves and then taking, you know, twists and turns back into the shape of an original kind of monarchy system. Um, I love this movie. Uh, I think it's a it's a little challenging. It's a little slow, if I'm going to be completely honest. Hmm, interesting. It's not as compulsive or propulsive as um, Force Majeure, I would say. Uh, but this movie fucking rules. Well, it doesn't have that. Pro- <laughs> doesn't have the propulsive uh, avalanche coming. <laughs> yeah, out. yeah. That's true. But this movie fucking rules. I mean, it's just like it. It sets in world cinema and American cinema in such stark relief that like every time we get uh, like a phenomenally directed, phenomenally acted foreign language film. It's about class consciousness and, uh, everything that comes out in America is about people in rubber suits punching each other. Um, no, but no, this was awesome. Yeah. I don't know off the bat. I don't know that I agree that it was a little slow to me. It like, it moved pretty good the whole time. I guess when they get to the, also, are we going to be let's go on the effort of keeping this, short or like not running too long on the episode here i'm gonna make the decision let's let's do no non-spoilers for these no spoilers okay also since we haven't watched some of them each like the 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 ones that we're going to talk about that we haven't the other hasn't watched yeah let's do a no spoiler up that's different for us too but there is a and if we break that sorry you know as i might just go into a spoiler right now but i'll try not to at least the first until until it gets to the kind of final act, I think it was definitely moving pretty, pretty good. Once once that final act or final kind of part of the movie happens, yeah, maybe it does slow down a little bit. It kind of the dynamics of everything kind of changes a little bit too. So maybe that's something. I think the average viewer might be more, uh, even compared to Force Majeure, might be more. Um, able to sit through this all the way because i feel like that one had some more talky kind of slower parts yeah well there there is there is quite a bit of levity in in here and one scene that really really pops uh where not a lot of talking is happening or actually a lot of talking is happening but it's over it's over in the intercom 
Um, so yeah, to make this sale really quick, this is Ruben Ostlund. It won the Palme d'Or. Um, he's a Swedish filmmaker. This is a film obsessed, um, with, with class, um, and the way that it organizes itself, um, and the way that people are, um, when they, when they belong to certain, like, classes of society and, and interact with other classes of society uh this movie it's uh it's got a three-part structure uh one the, the 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 part that i thought was pretty slow um that's basically just a guy and his girlfriend arguing the first part of the movie you're talking about. yeah yeah and uh then in the second act things happen lots of things happen and uh those things happen aboard a uh like 250 billion dollar uh super yacht pleasure cruise yeah, uh, that's probably all I can say without spoiling it, but it's, uh, people get into situations. Yeah, we could talk, we could set it up a little bit more, so, yeah, the part you're talking about at the beginning is kind of the central characters, at least for a lot of it, is this British, they're both British, I think, couple, the guy definitely was. He's British, she's, like, Italian or Czech or whatever. They're both models, and they're in a relationship, uh, they get into some dynamics of kind of man woman and the relationship who's supposed to do what who's supposed to pay for what what's right what's being a feminist in today's age really they're just arguing and about then, money which i think is really really funny and, and smart yeah and it's kind of at the beginning though i think it was smartly set up too because i was initially like all right this guy has a point all right i see where she's coming from like in, initially with the two characters you kind of see where they're coming from they don't seem that quote-unquote bad or whatever to me they didn't initially then you see them go to this luxury cruise. They're only on the cruise because they, uh, they're like she's an influencer and got the, got on there for free basically. But it's like a super luxury cruise where, most of the other people on there are like rich Russian, uh, billionaires and stuff like that, millionaires, billionaires. Um, and then you see how they act. That you see how the other rich people act. There's even, um, you even see how the different employees on the ship act versus each other like there's uh-huh. an early on scene with the kind of the woman who's like the manager in charge of everyone the staff and she's like giving this whole to, to like the kind of what you'd call at least in a restaurant you would call it like the front of house versus back of house yes. kind of staff so you see the the maids and cooks and everything are like below deck they're a lot more filipino or uh not white essentially and then the the, uh, the main kind of front of house staff is mostly white they're um they're having this meeting just with them and like she's the manager person is like telling them all about like if you do this and this right you'll get big bonuses and all that and they start like literally cheering over over that that money so yeah it's so and then it you know it develops from there like you were saying um something happens on the ship uh we got woody harrelson there as the captain of the ship who's a kind of a leftist but like self-admittedly not good one like doesn't practice what he preaches type of thing well he's a marxist he's also like a drunk marxist okay and he gets he gets his revenge so yeah so this whole thing is kind of a marxist parable but it doesn't read it's important that when i say that that it doesn't read that i say rather that it doesn't read as like a parable it's not that like stodgy purposely stilted which was a fine choice for this film uh but it doesn't read like darren aronofsky's mother or something where the point is that it's a parable or um if you've seen it the horror film we have to do uh i think it's we have to do something i haven't seen either of those honestly or the killing of a sacred deer right it's not like that that's like these are these are real like real life characters that like I would say acting as if this is really happening to them. There's no like fairy tale logic or anything. It's um yeah. But it is still a Marxist parable about how society orders and reorders itself and who deserves what and why. <laughs> or thinks they deserve what subtle. and why. It's not subtle. This is not a subtle film by any stretch of the imagination, I would say. So that could bump some people, I would think. I didn't mind it when when it, as it unfolded, but I could see Maybe that being a criticism against the film. Maybe not everyone's cup of tea in that regard. But yeah, it is. Despite that, it is like the acting is pretty good across the board, I would say. And like the dialogue and stuff, it does feel kind of natural. 
points, um, I think. But the the lack of subtlety more comes in like the, a lot of the imagery on screen that starts happening and and the kind of the setup, the plot dynamics essentially of what happens. So yeah, this is one we could definitely dig into more spoiler wise. Maybe we will at some point. But yeah, it's is there anything else to uh, that you want to bring up about it? Did we miss anything basic? Oh, I think we got it, man. Oh, you know what I wanted to say? This is got, maybe it won't be a good point because I actually haven't seen the other thing that I'm going to compare it to, but I feel like... So this show on HBO now is like super hot, the show The White Lotus. Have you been watching that? I've never seen an episode of White Lotus. Uh, I guess I need to. I haven't either. I haven't either, but I know a little bit about it. Like I get the sense that it it's kind of plays with a lot of the same themes as Triangle of Sadness, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone's favorite show. It is, especially the first yeah. season of that, I do know from spoilers, is more of, of like an upstairs-downstairs situation like this one starts off being, right? Um, I think you're not wrong to make the connection there. It's about, also, I feel like about rich people being miserable on vacation sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, never eating anywhere but the hotel restaurant. I know that. <laughs> yeah. And now in Triangle of Sadness, they don't really have any choice. Obviously, it's a boat. They have to eat on the restaurant. But yeah, there that doesn't go too well for some of the guests either. And one, one big set piece around the middle of the film, which I think the I'm sure would be the boat's rocking quite a bit in uh, the scene we're describing. And I think that that filmmaking there is like something really worth keeping an eye on um, if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. You know what? I am into that kind of thing. You know what I'm also into, Eric? What are you into? Uh, what I'm into, Eric, is hearing my good co-podcaster tell me about a film that I'm excited to watch, but have not yet gotten around to. Uh, so get me excited. To talk, talk tar to me. Get, me. get me even more excited than I already am. To uh, Perfect. Dance. As I told you, I was prepared to vamp for an unlimited amount of time on Avatar 2 The Way of Water. So here we go. Mm-hmm. The planet. Pandorum. <laughs> Pandora. Isn't that that uh, Spotify knockoff? That... Yeah, it is a Spotify knockoff, but I bet they don't fuck with by intertwining their skin dreadlock tail things. You know, like the music uh, site or whatever app, Pandora fucks other apps by like in- entwining their... Uh, I don't think they do that, but we have already reviewed her from 2015, or 13, directed by Spike Jones, so we won't go into it further here. Um, No, uh, so yeah, we're talking about Tar. If you uh, have been in the family of this pod for any length of time at all, uh, and heard that there was a movie coming out where Kate fucking Blanchett plays a famous conductor uh, of Mahler (laughs) symphonies specifically... Uh, and you thought that I wasn't going to review that on this podcast. Um, I, I don't have anything for that. I don't. <laughs> no, you aren't. You aren't paying attention. By the way, quick, quick, uh, another tease coming in for for my uh, movie. I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Mahler is shockingly going to come up again. Mahler comes up again. Uh, well, I never get enough of Mahler. Uh, I have described often uh, and vehemently that uh, Mahler's Eighth Symphony is my favorite thing in the world. I'm also a big fan of the Fifth, which is the one that she's uh, Lydia Tarr, Kate Blanchett's character, is trying to conduct to complete the cycle. It's a big thing. It's like I don't know. It's like winning a certain number of All Stars or the th- All Star appearances or the Thirty Thousand Point Club in the NBA. It's like a big thing to complete the Mahler cycle or complete the Beethoven cycle to a lesser extent. Uh, Mahler requires a lot of work and a lot of collaborators, and that's part of what this film is about. Egotting, getting an egot. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a bit like egotting um, to be to conduct at a professional like elite level. All nine Mahler symphonies um, with one orchestra or another, you know, London, Philadelphia, Berlin, uh, New York, Cleveland, Chicago, any of them, any of them. Um, just it, to, to hit for the cycle is a really big thing and she's excited to do it. Kate Blanchett's character, Lydia Tarr, is a little bit off. Um, she is a uh, genius conductor. Um, with a habit for uh, bad behavior, we should say. Uh, this movie it could not have been made before Me Too uh, and could have been made much more stupidly 
uh, if it had been made with a man at the beginning. Um, it could have become a very stodgy... Uh, I've, I've said that word twice. What What is with me on these last couple recordings? It could have become a very stilted, very um, didactic... I think the... the Sorry? Prestige cinema just has... That's just the word you're going to break. It's just ripping. It's... When you're... Yeah. Reviewing, yeah. It could become a very didactic thing, but instead what this hap- what happens is that we get a very complete portrait of uh, the the unraveling of the myth of the genius artist and uh it becomes a tale about what uh her collaborators and the people who make her genius art happen obviously in this case it's literally you're watching her conduct an orchestra right so it's not the same as watching a movie and saying paul thomas anderson did every part of that which i am prone to doing on accident sometimes wait sorry can you explain that more uh like they did every part of it. What, what do you mean? Uh, well, she's conducting an orchestra, right? So you can see the artists and, and technicians, and you can see her working with people. Oh, with I lights. see. So, uh, so you, yeah, it's not like like she is the director, the Paul, the PT, right. or something in this case. But it's not this. I but uh, this is a very um, very thorough unraveling of the genius artist myth um, as her worst and worst behavior comes to the light. You know, and then. Things happen. <laughs> I don't know. We said we're not spoiling. Right. We're not spoiling, yeah, and I certainly don't want to be spoiled. But if it's not a spoiler, I guess you kind of hinted at it, but some of her quote-unquote bad behavior is like me too-ish type of sexual in nature. Or... Right, which isn't... Uh, yeah, that's not so much a spoiler. I mean, it wasn't just... I, it didn't feel like a spoiler when I got it from me. It's kind of just like... it. It. It's kind of the... like. It's almost the tone of the movie. The tone of the movie is bleak uh dark mysterious but yeah but also this is i i had the sense this was like a dark comedy to some extent or is that not the case um you have seen the tweets about the end of the movie yeah uh it can be described as comedy uh as a it's a very dark one okay so the end is where the joke there is a punchline coming um that by telling you to expect i i might have ruined um so I don't know if we want to how we want to edit that, but but yes. What can you talk a little bit about the? Well, this is a Todd Field film, I believe. That's right, Todd Field Forever. I'm not t- too familiar with his other work. I think he hasn't made a movie in a long time. That's true. He's been out of the game and for a minute. I don't know if I saw the last. Um, I didn't see Little Children. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. So, is is, is Kate Winslet uh, the star of that one? I feel like, but yeah, I haven't seen. Uh, it. yep. Um, Kate Winslet. So I'm not, I'm not too, uh, I don't know too much about Field, but it seems like he's definitely up there as one of these prestige guys for sure. That's all, that's his wheelhouse, right? I mean, even if this were his um, first film, I would say so. I mean, this is, this yeah. is, it's a very meticulous work. It's not like a Kubrick meticulous work, um, but, but, the, but the directing, the acting, the sound, even she starts hearing phantom sounds at some point, which is not itself, I think a spoiler. Kate Blanchett is, I would say, giving a performance that seems unhinged and simultaneously deeply considered. Um, I, I obviously I love her. I'm in the bag for her. Yeah, but I mean, she's incredible. And she's in her bag in this one. It's there is a hand motion that she makes that you will know when you see it. (laughs) That is, ha. I'll be looking out for that hand. Um, yeah, I mean, she's pretty much the best, like, I don't... Uh, yeah, she's the absolute queen, man. Actors that can match her, but no one better, I would say. And she's usually good for for one great performance a year, practically. But it sounds like this might even be above that. She's getting the Oscar, um, and she deserves it, and this movie deserves your time and attention. Now, it's called Tar because that's her name. Yeah, her name's Lydia Tar. Okay. No double meaning type of thing. Or something. I mean, unless you want to say, like, um, it'd be too cheeky and stupid to say that it means, like, also tarred and feathered, you know? Um, her name's Lydia Tar, that's why it's mm. called Tar. Uh, who else is uh, in this one? Anyone else would know? Our friend Nomi, I think it's just Nomi, Nomi Merlant uh, from Portrait of a Young Lady on Fire. Was she the, which of the two main the characters brunette. was she in that? She's okay. not Adele Hanel. Yeah, she's she's good. Yeah, okay. Naomi Merlant, or how you say it. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to watch it. I'm, I'm sure I'm 
going to get to it in the next couple of days here. Do you want to... Yeah, so uh, that's a strong recommend from Eric. It sounds like, do you want to keep talking Mahler or should we um, move back into one that we've both seen? I'll, I'll again leave it up. Let's actually keep talking Mahler. Talk, talk Mahler to me, baby. Okay. So it, it also features the Fifth Symphony specifically. For real. Uh, interestingly enough. Yes, and the film that I'm uh, talking about is the new Park Chan-wook joint Decision to Leave, it is called. I think his first film in, in a couple of years. A least. while, I think. Or the, the yeah, first film that Americans heard about. Let me check. He's uh, The Handmaiden, I believe, was his last That sounds right to me. Film when, I think that was like 2017 or something like that. Maybe even 16, so... Off the bat, I mean, I just watched this one. Off the bat, I, I would say I didn't like it as much as The Handmaiden, but it it was interesting. Uh, it's a, essentially a murder mystery slash romantic drama, um, which is also a little bit different for Chan Wook, I would say. But it, uh, it uh, essentially deals with this detective in Busan, South Korea, who um does he arrive there by train because you know what he i believe he drives a car back and forth but he does uh part of the setup is he lives in a different city that's further away where his wife has a job and he only goes there to see his wife like once a week i cannot recommend commuting to busan for any reason yeah uh no it's car to busan a detective uh yeah detectives don't really take the train i guess They, they gotta they gotta drive around to the different uh locations of of the crime um but yeah in this case literally this case a man dies potentially suicide potentially was pushed they don't know but off like a cliff basically he was a mountain climbing enthusiast the the lead suspect being then his much younger wife who's from china basically an immigrant from china and uh the detective, um, you know, I'm not really getting into spoilers, but it's early on. Like, they they just rule it a suicide because of certain reasons, and then she's off the hook. But the detective and her keep uh, in contact, essentially. So it's, it's kind of a, yeah, psychological romantic mystery. Okay. Uh, it takes a lot of twists and turns. Where the Mahler aspect comes in is... Let me, let me see if how I can explain this. They, I'm trying to remember who's even talking at this point, but I think it's the guy, the mountain climbing guy, who's the the victim at the beginning or the dead guy. Through some voiceover, he's saying like how you climb this mountain that he does a lot, and like it's something like, and they're playing. I'm I'm assuming it's I don't know it, but I'm assuming it's they're talking about it and i'm assuming that's what they're playing where the soundtrack the fifth symphony part of it and he's saying like at this point you'll get to the second uh, what are they called first second third um movement movement yeah so he's like at by the end of the second movement you'll be at this part of the mountain or you'll be at this stage now it's getting hard here and then you'll be and then by the time you're at the fifth movement you're at the top or something like that and the detective is like hearing this in his head like the guy's saying that and like trying to retrace the steps sort of thing but yeah it's like a whole scene with that oh, so. cool. i guess Mahler is hot this year at the old uh <laughs> well gonna be hot at the oscars or whatnot um he's in the zeitgeist Mahler's hot every uh, year Mahler Mahler is uh Mahler's popular for a reason um he's gonna be hot next year too we've got uh the maestro yeah. bernstein big Mahler guy what's the maestro um it's the uh leonard bernstein biopic by um Bradley Cooper. Mm. Oh, like Cooper's director? Yeah, yeah. He's fully Clint Eastwooding. He's easy Eastwooding, one take only. Yeah, now we'll see if my love-hate relationship with Bradley Cooper continues into 2023. It sounds like it will. But, yeah, with this... Oh, yeah, with the... Even the the last film that we're going to talk about in a minute, could... I don't know what when Mahler is from. What era is that? Early 1900s. Okay, so he's, he wouldn't be... That's when Banshees of Anna Sharon, which we're talking about in a minute, is set. And then there, there's some talk about classical music in that as well. But I guess that's contemporary to when that film is, is, is taking place. 
and they're talking about Mozart and stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, decision to leave. Like I already kind of said, it's it's got a little bit of a different tone than some of these other uh, Park Chan Wook movies. Certainly, like the old boy and those uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance in those movies, but you could still it's still like very well crafted, like paced everything, like very deliberate shots and all of that. Some beautiful shots in there from the camera. The two lead you know lead actors are both very good and compelling one issue i did have was i didn't watch any official version of this i just watched the one online and someone had subtitled it and i can't imagine this would be like the subtitles you get if you see it in the theater or something like it there definitely seemed to be some mistakes or some confusing dialogue oh yeah and it was further compounded by the fact that the main like i said that the one character is chinese living in korea mostly speaking korean but there's several points where she switches to chinese and they it and in the film they like she has like a translator and the guy hears it but even when she's talking in korean it's like is she messing words up as part of the film that's the character Mm -hmm. like she would probably because it's not her first language and there's some there's some like indications that that's the case but then it's like a lot of it had to be the subtitles just aren't good too so i probably need to see it again for that reason alone but I mean, I got obviously the gist of everything, um, and yeah, it's it's definitely like a mystery. You know, for most of the time, you don't know exactly what's going on. You don't know who's being honest. Um, it's mo- mainly from the detective's perspective, so you generally know where he's coming from. And he's an insomniac. Moving parts. He isn't. Yeah, did I not say that? No, I, I I don't know he's if a, you did. I just know that. So yeah, nothing good yeah, can it's happen a big there. Part of the character. He doesn't uh, sleep very much. He's not able to. That's discussed quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's a pretty. That's a pretty typical, I guess, thing for your lead character. You gotta have some kind of either ailment, some kind of issue, some kind of struggle to add the character and and things like that. But yeah, there's a lot of discussion of that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a recommend from me. I would say not the director's best but but an interest uh interesting entry in his filmography nice nice what would you consider park trend looks best old boy handmade probably i i i would probably say the handmaiden is is just film i enjoyed the most i don't know if it's his best due to that old boy is certainly his most iconic um and it like laid the groundwork for a lot of future films and filmmakers like aped off it quite a bit and that's like a middle part of a three kind of loose trilogy of revenge films which i like all of them he did stoker which i should probably rewatch. that's like his one american film mm-hmm. which i i know it was critically acclaimed i didn't love it but again yeah maybe i should rewatch it um it's kind of a very loose adaptation of Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, which I'm a big fan of. So I think maybe I was too close to it from that angle. Okay. I kind of could see the, the setup there. Then it did some things differently that I didn't like, essentially. So um, I think that was my issue with it. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's probably my thing. I think it was, again, yeah, well acclaimed. Um, and I don't think I've seen any of his other films, which is probably a couple of ones other. I keep meaning to watch Lady Vengeance. Yeah. That's probably the weakest of the, that trilogy, but I think it's still good. Again, it's been a long time, though. Um, yeah. But that is a decision to leave. So it's, yeah, definitely a bit of a, a genre blending. Um, a Korean film. Every year, there's a, a seemingly now there's at least one pretty solid uh, film coming out of Korea. So they're definitely getting up there on the world stage film wise. Well, well, and getting getting their excellent movies to American audiences is probably the better way to put that. Um, and this one does not. Uh, you're saying all uh, foreign films are uh, dealing with uh, class and everything. Like oh, just that, that they're allowed. I to. mean, I. In other countries. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's not a big portion, not a big theme in this one, but it could still be there a little bit. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think it's time to reconvene and get back into one we've both seen now. I think we both watched it just yesterday, in fact. Uh, I, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but The Banshees of Inisherin, the new, uh, is his name Martin McDonough? Is that That's right. Yes. So, yeah, this this is a, the new one. It's a repairing of Colin Farrell and... Uh, Brendan Gleeson. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, yeah. From uh, McDonough's uh, other film that really put him on the map, uh, In Bruges. It's a fucking fairy tale town. Is that something they say? In yeah, In Bruges is one of my favorite movies. Okay. We could move on. No, I need to watch that again, too, because I haven't. I remember liking it quite a bit, but uh, it's probably been a decade or whatever since I've seen it. Then he had a couple films in between, which I didn't love. Same. Uh, three Billboards out of, Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, I believe it's called, was the full title, was his last one, which was like a very polarizing, I guess. Frances McDormand won the Oscar, actress Oscar for it, and I think it might have won some other awards, but it was questionable in some regards. Anyway, back to this one, he kind of pared it down again. Yeah, back to this main pairing of two, I would say, great actors, setting it in a, a another kind of small town. This one is in, is it supposed to be 1910s in Ireland that? Pre-World War One, I, I think. Let me Google when the Irish Civil War was. I This is unprofessional. I should I should already know. You should know. You should certainly know when every country's civil war or wars happened. Like the 22nd, 23rd, 1922, 23. Okay, so it's post-World War One. So, so the 1920s. The only reason I thought it maybe wasn't is because there, was no, there was no talk of like the war, the Great War or anything. I guess it, they're more concerned with this civil war. Right. Because theoretically, like... Colin Farrell's character would have been in World War One then. Maybe. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not part of that film. So yeah, Colin Farrell plays a simple, a very simple man, I would say, uh, who lives on a. I, I think it's a made-up island, but it's based on like some real Irish kind of islands, uh, off the mainland. Obviously, a very parochial, very small town. Close. Uh, you know, everyone knows everything all the time sort of deal. He goes to the pub every day with his friend Brendan Gleeson's character. And then the start of the movie basically is he goes the one day and, and the Gleeson character is like, I don't want to be friends anymore. Uh, and that's it. We're done. And uh, Farrell's character cannot handle that. And then when he tries to keep the friendship going, Gleeson's character... <laughs> doubles down on his adamant resorts to drastic he's not gonna keep the friendship and resorts to some one would most normal people would consider insane measures and it goes from there but basically this is a breakup movie right it is this is a movie about what 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 dreaming will do to you right uh, it's a movie about what not having dreams will do to you in, in a certain extent, to a certain extent. Um, and this is a movie about when, like, you've just had enough of somebody. It's not that you don't love them anymore, it's yeah. just that it's over. And uh, it's harder to make it over when, again, you are in this small town and you... And, like, uh, so what are their names? Their names are kind of hard to say. Colm and Patrick. Patrick and Colm. They they pronounce like the a, a space between the L and the M there. They kept say, saying by the last names like Colm, whatever his last name is. It's very um, it's pretty hard to understand to me. But anyway, he's uh, yeah, it's, he's still he's still Colm is still going to the pub and everything. So it's not like he moves away or does whatever. He just tries to not talk to. <laughs> it's not even that anymore, he's. So. It's not even that he's too depressed by his like thwarted ambitions and his like understanding that uh his death will mean no one remembers him it's like he just doesn't want to talk to patrick anymore because he i mean we're maybe it's kind of a spoiler but he's considering some dollar he's sick of his dull conversation he wants right i think we can spoil his, this one what he sees are his final years or whatever i think we can spoil we spoil parts of this one um uh, because it's not about okay these events right basically 
Colin is afraid that he's going to die, and he's afraid that when he dies, he's not going to have done anything. And he's, he can't spend any more time talking to Colin Farrell's uh, Patrick, even though he's a nice guy, even though he didn't do anything wrong. He's he's one of life's good guys, you know. He can't spend any more time talking to him. Because he, they weren't even rowing. Right? <laughs> sure does seem like they're rowing. Uh, he can't spend any more time talking to him because he has to write this bad, bad Irish folk tune. So that somebody remembers him for something. Yeah, and of course, ironically, Colin Farrell's position is, you know, in, in, in my estimation, right. That you've got too big a sense of yourself and the people who remember you, who will remember you, are the people who you spend all that time talking to. And for him, that's not enough. Yeah, he's trying to strive for something more beyond that simple life. But I wasn't even, I guess that is only a very light spoiler what his reasoning is, but initially like into the film for a while i wasn't sure if it was going to be like a mystery they weren't going to reveal like why or not till the end or something why he ended the friendship because it doesn't come out right away right right and like Pedro colin farrell doesn't know either his and his sister and all this is like a whole uh plot as well he lives having his sister live together farmhouse essentially she also wants something better ultimately um something less dull of a life so her and the colm character are a little more aligned in that regard and yeah the colin farrell just can't understand like what's things are changing and he can't understand why essentially yeah, yeah i mean great performances in this also the other kind of main character is this kind of town what would you call it like laughing stock but not just like a laughing stock he's just like a He's kind of a creep. He's like someone people don't want around. Well, yeah, yeah. He's like the village idiot. Um, played by Barry Keoghan. Yeah, village idiot. Yeah, who is a great actor. I've seen him in a bunch of things now. Uh, and he, he, it's another banger from him with this one. He's, he reminds me of De Niro in a way where... Okay, come on. Not that the acting style is similar, but De Niro like is capable of playing, in his career, has played a bunch of different psychopath roles. But he's, like, very good at making them different. Like, the king of comedy character is, like, a psycho sure. sociopath. But it's completely different than um, Cape Fear. And what and that in itself is different than Taxi Driver, etc. down the line. Like, he, he's able to, like, put all these different spins on what you just call, like, a psycho or a sociopath or something. Uh-huh. And I feel like Barry Keoghan, or however you say his name, is does that with like creeps basically like he's plays a lot of different creepy characters usually. a lot of weird little guys but he's but he's very good at putting a difference like the character in this film banshees is like different than anything else i've seen him do but he's still yes. like a creep in a way like so that's that that was my uh comparison there nice well done yeah i don't know but he's there there's one but this is also i would say a comedy dark black comedy basically this one i would say gets less comedic as it goes along but the one scene with the Barry Keoghan character and the sister yep. I was like literally laughing yep. out loud at it like it was so funny to me and yeah it's good and and both the, all the other performances are good too the sister is the, the actor who's in Better Call Saul she like plays Mike's daughter I was about to say she's not Ray Seahorn yeah I think you're right she is no. Mike's daughter and I didn't like really love her performance in that show i don't know the care it's might be she doesn't get a lot to do down to the character yeah isn't that dynamic but um but yeah this i thought she's oh she's yeah she's wonderful in this they're all really really wonderful these characters are alive in these these very small uh gorgeous ways i i i'm a i'm really into this movie and i may if i sit with it for a little while i may revise my top five to include it um and i feel like I feel like I shouldn't have even made a top five because I, I, I think I might might have to do that for Decision to Leave as well. And, of course, for Avatar, uh, The Way of Water. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to be t- top one, two, three, four. Like, top two and it's not two, right? The the way the Avatar uh, three or whatever, that's going to be on the list somehow. No. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, at this point, I think since you brought it up, now you're gonna have to reveal what your top five is. Okay, um, I'll, I'll 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 vamp and give you mine while you put yours together. My number five was going to be Mad God, and we're all going to the World's Fair. I think both of those movies are incredible for two completely two two between two and ten completely different reasons. 
I watched a movie called Skinnamarink the other day, which is one of the more unsettling horror films that I've ever seen. It has an intensity and a clarity of purpose, and I think instead of just having my number five spot be three different movies, I think, unfortunately, as much as I want to evangelize those two beautiful, incredible films um, that everyone should see, Mad God and We're All Going to the World's Fair, I think my number five spot is going to be Skinnamarink. Now, I haven't seen any of these ones that we're all buying for. Uh, you can find Skinnamarink if you need to see it on your on our special movie repository that's completely legal. Where, where I might have watched Decision to Leave with the Faulty. Right, 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 right. My number four, and probably the thing that's getting bumped, is um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, that, I, I really loved that movie, and, it, you know, it's not the most cinematic film, and it's, it's not the most serious film. But, I mean, the stakes are huge, but you know what I mean. I really, really loved it, and I'm tired of fighting that feeling. It, 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 it like, yeah. It's good. It's really good. I really liked it. Uh, my number three is Nope. Uh, I think Nope is a fantastic film. I think if you think it's not good, uh, you either didn't understand it or you're overthinking, um, overthinking why it's not good so that you can say it's not good. And that's just me. I think that oh, uh, Nope is an achievement worth appreciating. I think that it does, in fact, make sense. And you can follow a metaphor if you sit down and watch. If you just watch the fucking movie, you can follow the metaphors. You, you, you can understand what's happening uh, and you can understand why every little thing is there, and you can disagree, you can quibble if it needed to be there or not, but it's not like it doesn't make any sense, and I think you know that. And if you want more on this train of thought, go back and listen to our Nope slash They Live episode. Exactly, exactly. Uh, my number two is the new Celine Siama joint from earlier in this year, Petite Mama. It's a movie about a little girl whose grandma dies, and then um, while her family is in the grips of a deep depression dealing with this, she meets a little girl in the woods. That girl is very obviously, uh, through some Studio Ghibli uh, magical realism nonsense, uh, very clearly her mother at her age. Um, and this is a beautiful, beautiful movie about grief and loving people that you can never truly know. Um, and I, 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 I just, every year I gotta have a French yeah, movie that, anyway, so it might as well have been this, right? That one was on my radar and somehow got off. I like completely forgot about it somehow, but I meant to watch it. I never did, and I need to rectify that now. Yeah, I like, I like Siyama a lot, uh, her other films a lot that I've seen, so I definitely need to get on board with that. By the way, since you mentioned the French, are you still getting into the French New Wave? Are you still trying to knock some of those off? Yeah, when I have time. It's like, it, it was horror season, and then it was prestige season, so you know. When is, like, Godard season or French New Wave season? Is that, like, spring or post-Oscar or, like, one? Yeah, yeah, I figure post-Oscar like, or, or, like, there's a really, like, dumpuary is, is a phrase that everyone's familiar with. Mm -hmm. That's where I'll probably go back and hit some classics. Okay. I mean, that's normally when I'm catching up on the ones we're talking about. But now. we got we got to them so early this year. Like we discussed, we're getting to jump on it. All right, so coming in at number at one. At number one, the most Eric Core movie of all time, it's Tar. It, it was always going to be Tar, uh, but okay, I do think great. that it is a phenomenal film. It's an, it's an achievement in storytelling that um, I don't think another film quite hit this year. Um, and I think, just give it a chance. I know it's three hours, and I know it touches... I know it touches third rails, but just go in. Oh, it's three hours? I don't know. It's, it's like long. two hours and 40-something minutes. It's long. Go in with a spirit of generosity for the work, if not necessarily any of the characters in it, and um, just have yourself just 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 enjoy the ride. Uh, I think it's a great movie. What about you? All right. Well, I never said that I was going to have a top five or or do that. You're the one who brought it up. I don't have a top five. I mean, I, I haven't seen everything yet. I'm sure Tar might end up being on something like that. What I can do instead, I will... Uh, let me go through my list here and maybe shout out a couple I have seen that are just recommends from me from the past year. Um, I mean, well, like one like we talked about on our last episode was Pearl, right? I would say that would be up there, maybe in my top ten at least. For, the for sure. An honorable mention for me um, for Pearl and Barbarian, which were mm -hmm. just one oh. of my favorite nights of this entire yeah. year between the two of them. Barbarian may be my sixth okay. favorite movie from this year. So the ones you bumped out of five are going even down below that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're... That's why these lists are too hard, Eric. I can't, right. I can't do it. Right. Well, those movies were number five because because I wanted to evangelize them. Um, I was real late on Barbarian. I just caught up on that, like, also recently. Did you like it? Watched that with my girlfriend. I liked it. I, did, I would say I didn't love okay. it. Okay. 
I think my girlfriend liked it more than I did. She, she seemed to really like it a lot. I might have been a little overhyped on it. It could be an issue. Well, I was the one overhyping it, so... You were part of that for sure, but it wasn't just you. I know a lot of... I think, I think what it was, maybe... I kept specifically hearing, and I don't think this one was from you, but I heard people saying, or through osmosis, whatever, like, oh, there's, like, a big twist, or, like, wait for it, like, the big reveal sort of thing. Knowing that there's a twist ruins that first act. Yeah, so I was, like, waiting for that, and then when I saw what it was, I was like, okay, it's not, like, completely original to me. Well, because Um, Psycho, right? Because that's what Psycho does. Kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, are we spoiling in the, I guess we could spoil it. Yeah, thank we you for joining us today. It, uh, turn this off if you've not seen Barbarian. Yeah. I mean, I was late on it, so most people probably saw it by the time I did in December, um, which it is currently. So, yeah, so you're saying it's like Psycho because one of the characters dies early? Well, or? yeah, because the lead is not the lead for the, the second half. Although, like, she comes back, but you know what I mean. Like, in Psycho... She, well, it pivots to this other character. The know. perspective character of Psycho dies 37 there. minutes in. Psycho's from, like, 1937 yeah. or whenever. 1965? Well, that's a very big swag. It's 1960. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, it's been done, right? But it yeah. was still shocking. It was still compelling. Well, did you think that she died? Because um, I was... Uh, uh, when me and my girlfriend, like I said, we watched it together. And then she was like, oh, that I didn't expect that character to be dead and i was like well I, are you sure she is right. like i think she might still be alive and then she was so i was like that's why i didn't make that connection I for sure that. for sure was the movie trying to make you think that she was dead i mean i'm sure it would have loved if you thought she was dead for the big reveal 20 minutes later yeah yeah i i mean i i, I like the themes of the of the movie for sure like i get what it was trying it was saying it's it's basically setting up like this showing how bad like men are to women essentially like in many different ways um and like how what they have to deal with because even the kind of villain character or antagonist is like a victim herself essentially Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you see like obviously the justin long character is a complete scumbag which i liked his performance i liked the character um but he was great yeah I did like that little kind of bisecting of the film where you just introduced to him and you're like, what's going on here? What is this? How does this connect? And then you see how it does, but... Yeah, you were done a disservice knowing that there was a twist. The most the most I saw anyone say that I was comfortable saying myself was, do not learn anything about this movie, just go. Uh, which even that says, just like, what, do you, what don't you want me to know? Is there a twist? But But you know what I mean. I th- yeah, uh, me and my girlfriend both liked the rope thing a lot. I thought that was pretty novel, like the, how they open the, the secret door with that rope you pull out of a wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Barbarian, I think, would be on a lot of people's lists. So that's a recommend from both of us. Oh, this uh, newer documentary called Fire of Love I just watched, which mm-hmm. I would recommend about this volcanologist couple that eventually were killed by a volcano shockingly in the early 90s but they had all this they're kind of famous um at the time i guess relatively they would go on tv a lot and stuff um this french couple or maybe one's german one's french i think but uh, all throughout the 70s and 80s they kind of evangelized this like studying of volcanoes kind of their thing was like you can't it's hard to even learn like stuff because it's so they're all so different you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, that's how they ended up dying anyway then, and all their friends and stuff along the way were dying from these volcanoes. But they also then did, uh, they were instrumental in saving people in the future from, like, saying what some warning signs are, getting some villages out of the zone where they could be, all be wiped out. So, uh, but just the main reason to watch this one is, like, the amazing footage they got from all these, like, shot on film stuff from... Yeah, 70s, 80s, early 90s, these crazy eruptions and all this stuff. Um, So that would be a wreck from your boy. Uh, Bros, I watched that the other day, the Billy Eichner comedy. Um, Terrible title on that one, Mm -hmm. but a good film. I liked it. I, I thought it was very funny. It was an interesting perspective that you don't get a lot uh, in other comedies, like very heavily from 
his personal life perspective, I'm assuming, and saying how uh, it's basically like a gay romantic comedy, but you know, a sex comedy, all this stuff. Like, there's very explicit scenes and things like that. And yeah, like that perspective you don't usually get. It's clearly very personal to him and stuff. But yeah, very funny. Um, so I would recommend that. Let's see. I watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story. You did. Not a strong recommend, but a slight recommend, especially if you're a Weird Al fan like I am. There's some there's some fun to be had with that one. Watched that one with my dad on, you know, around Thanksgiving. That was a good, good little father-son screening. Uh, let's see what else is on here. Another comedy, like a very light recommend, light comedy, uh, Confess Fletch. I liked that. I the, did. Uh, John Hamm film. You saw yeah. that one, Eric? Okay. That's like a, that's pretty much a perfect, like, you know, kick back on a, I don't know, Thursday night, Thursday evening with a glass of wine or two, watch a light comedy slash mystery, uh, with your significant other or whatnot. The uh, Soderbergh film, Kimmy, I, I would give that a, a recommend, actually. I like that one. That was a sleeper for me this year. I didn't, my brother uh, convinced me to watch that one, or he, he put it on when I, I was uh his place one time, or we were together or whatever, and uh, yeah, it was it was good. It's very Hitchcockian also, so, you know, up my alley for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit of a rear window take. Not completely, though. I ended up a lot of... Uh, it was one of the films that I've seen that worked the pandemic-era stuff in pretty naturally, I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much that and Host. Yeah, Host, uh, we talked about that one. Did we do a full episode around that one? I think we did. Yeah, we did the we did Host and something else. It was like a 62-minute film also, wasn't it? Something like that. Hell yeah, 56, I think. I'll end on this one, although I don't know if I could really give it a, a recommend because I don't know if I really liked it ultimately, but this was a shutter joint, I believe. Again, I watched it on our completely legal uh, special site, but it did have a shutter card, at title card at the beginning, so I, I think it would be on there. This is a Christmas pick, good to end on. It's the holiday season. This one is called Christmas, Bloody Christmas. So is this on your radar? No. Um, it can be. So, it's a film by this guy named Joe Bigos or Bagos, not sure how you say it. I was a fan of a couple of his other films from a few years ago. Very, um, low-budget filmmaker, you know. He had a film called VFW. Oh, uh-huh, okay. That guy. That I, uh, I enjoyed. It was kind of like a Carpenter-style throwback. Like, these old people from a VFW have to fight zombies. And he had a film from the same year actually these are now I'll look it up they're both 2019 ones called Bliss that's more of a vampire take but uh, both very stylish stylized and I liked both of those I'd recommend those I love Bliss the, okay so you know that one this one Christmas Bloody Christmas didn't completely work for me it's this is this is like a slasher take now uh, the slasher Santa although it's a it's like a Terminator thing too where the Santa's like a machine basically so, like, these Santa machines are getting recalled, and then, you know... The budget on this, again, it was a very low budget, and I think it probably hurt it on this one. It didn't... The gore and stuff like that really wasn't there. The cool kills weren't really there for me. And it kind of dragged on a bit, even though it's a shorter film. I le- The kind of two main characters I liked... I thought they had very good chemistry together, but the... I'm assuming Vegas wrote the film also. He, uh... He kept cramming in all this dialogue about like metal bands and like film like film discussion that was like clearly like oh this is a director and his friends talking not like this kind of guy and girl romantically like the girl runs like a record store and everything i get it but like maybe she'd be in this this stuff but i don't know sure sure it's got a little uh, much point blank problem and that can be done well but yeah i don't know it was it was a little clashing for me in this one. But, you know, it's only 90 minutes or something. So if you liked his other films, or, or if you like Christmas yeah. horror, yeah, it's not a terrible watch. Um, yeah, that's about the roundup from me. I guess we kind of cut our banshees of Inishan discussion a little bit short sideways there. But was there anything else you wanted to wrap up with that one? I loved it, too. I mean, I, I think it would be 
definitely near the top of my list right now. I'll get recency bias for sure. Just watched it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a bit of recency bias for me too. I think it was a beautiful and really well made film. Probably, probably it will it will bump its way elbow its way in, um, just like Skinnerink did. It's another strong recommend. No, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much good on Banshees. It's it's fresher too, right? Because it just hit VOD. Yeah. Uh, the things that my like list feels incomplete without is I haven't seen the French film happening. I haven't seen After Sun from uh, England. I haven't seen Decision to Leave. And then Babylon and White Noise aren't out, and I haven't seen The Fablemans or Avatar 2 The Way of Water. Yeah, which is technically not out as of this recording, but it comes out very soon. Yeah, Fablemans I have not seen either. Um, probably get to that at some point. Not, uh, yeah, probably some other ones, but... But yeah, I think we're both pretty uh, well ahead of the curve this time around on uh, Prestige Season, Eric. I'm proud of us. Me too, man. We've done it. Well, uh, I think that's going to about do it for this year episode. Stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network or get subscribed if you're not. And uh, check out Drew's views over on YouTube for some uh, anime reactions, some cartoon reactions, other stuff on there on my channel which Eric is involved with as well. And uh, yeah, until next time, keep watching movies, follow the way of the water or whatever that is. And uh, That's right. We're out of here. Peace. Productions.